0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Literacy View. We have a really exciting night planned ahead. We have a very special guest. We have Dr. Sam Bommarito. Am I saying that right? You are. Okay, great. Better known as Dr. Sam. And we're so pleased to have him with us today. Um, Dr. Sam has been um, a teacher for over 50 years. He's now retired, correct? Over 51
1: years. Well, I'm flunking retirement, but yeah, I'm supposed to be retired.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, you're certainly active. You're active on social media. Um, We met informally through Twitter. And um, he also was a presenter for ILA, formerly known as IRA, the International Reading Association. And um, most recently, he did a presentation for LitCon, um, which is the Reading Recovery Conference. And as you know, the show is called The Literacy View. So for our viewers who have been following us, we really believe in trying to bring people together. And um, this show is no exception. So we are going to treat Dr. Sam with the same respect that we treat everyone else. And, um, but however, if we do hear something that doesn't sit well, we already warned him. I've been
1: forewarned. Yes, I have. That's
0: right. We have BS buttons right here. Um, but it's all going to be in good fun, and we hope people will walk away learning and talking about this. So let's begin. Um, we chose an article entitled, North Carolina Sees Big Increase in Reading Skills Among K-3 to Students. Is the State Back on Track? And this was an article in the News and Observer. It's a local newspaper in North Carolina. And the gist of the article is that scores have gone back up after a slump with the pandemic. Every other state experienced this. And um, what they found is that the um, scores have gone up better than even expected because they brought in science of reading training. At least that's what they're attributing it to. So I'm just trying to um, you know, summarize what I read. It's a short article, we'll post it in the show notes. Um, but they went back to teacher training, science of reading, and they used dibbles as a measure to show this improvement over time. So I want to put out a question to Dr. Sam um, right off the bat because I know that Dr. Sam um, probably has different views about this assessment um, and about what would um, make scores go up and possibly not Um, science of reading training. So I would love to hear from you. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would like to know what you think about this. Judy sent you the article in advance. So what are some of of your thoughts about this?
1: Okay. Uh, Like with all research, the devil's always in the details. And uh, I would take issue with whether or not reading scores went up in this sense. The Dibbles as a test that Dibbles ate. I I looked through their manual. And on the one hand, I want to give them kudos on a lot of things. Uh, Their creation of the passages was wonderful. Uh, I I think in terms of the kind of, for what the instrument's designed to do, which is to be mainly a screening instrument, wonderful. In terms of it being a full test of comprehension, not so much. And here's why I say this. First, if you just do the item count on the number of items in the test, many, many, many more of the items have to do with decoding skills than have to do with actual reading skills. Uh, And in terms of how they measure comprehension, uh, what they do is use a modified closed test. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar, uh, basically you get... The first the first sentence, the last sentence, leave out words in between. and then the people uh, uh, the, the people taking the test fill in the questions. Well, that is a way to, to check for comprehension. Uh, I'll, I'll just put a little dig here in that these are the same people that say don't use contacts. And by gosh, their comprehension measure is all built on context. That's what a closed test does. It tests the ability of the reader to use the context to fill in the missing word. So in terms of their test, I, I'd say it's almost in some ways a half a test. Uh, they uh, They did a marvelous job on the passages themselves. But the questions they're asking compare those to the questions on your typical state test, like Del Duke has. And what you're going to find is that they're not the same. So yeah. on the one hand, there is a huge correlation between uh this kind of testing and direct testing. But uh basically, this is one of those cases where uh let's give credit where credit is due. The training has had some impact demonstratively, no question about it. But uh the problem becomes, is this impact really impacting reading or not? And that I challenge them on the way they tested for reading comprehension. I, I think there are better ways to do that. I'm afraid that some well, I'm people.
0: Gonna just, I'm going to just stop you for a second. Sure. A lot right here. Judy, you're very familiar. With um, Acadians, as a matter of fact, you feel that that's a strength of yours in interpreting data. Dibbles, of course, is um, Acadians. It's you know it's the same types of um, finite skills being assessed. Um, what do you think about what Dr. Sam is saying about not getting a full measure of comprehension? I have my views. I'm going to allow you to um jump in right now and then I'll piggyback on what you say. Go ahead.
2: So, Dr. Sam, I appreciate your perspective. And in some ways, I do agree. Code and meaning is very important, right? That's what reading is all about, right? Integrating those two. However, I have to say that. I've been in the schools a long, long time. And Sam, you know, Dr. Sam, you know, I was in reading recovery and I was the teacher that slept with my running records, but I had the privilege of only having a couple of kids at a time when I was doing that. Right. Classroom teachers were spending a hell of a lot of time with those running records. Kids were losing instructional time. But anyway, I won't get into that. I think that Acadian's is the best thing that I've seen in a very long time. It gives you a very quick pulse, a pulse of how kids are doing in terms of breaking the reading code. And until kids can break that reading code, they might be able to understand from read alouds and comprehend, but if they can't lift those words off the page, that's a big problem. And I think that unfortunately for a very long time, We didn't prioritize decoding skills. We didn't give it the respect that it deserved. And I myself, as I speak about on many episodes, I wish that when I was in my other role, I was better at teaching kids how to decode. Yes, my students got their mouth ready for the first letter. Yes, they thought about meaning and so forth. But they could have been a hell of a lot better if I had that knowledge about those syllable types, about how those words parts work, how those vowel teams work, it would have been better. I think that the portion about meaning, so I didn't actually see a close passage when I was doing the Acadians. We were doing a lot of passages that were called oral reading fluency. And I know Acadians had a lot of other type of passages as well. There's the maze, there's the ran. I'm not there yet. I'm going to know those things really well, but I'm not there yet. Right now. Yeah, I trying... Yeah, just let me just finish. So the oral reading fluency gives a lot of information and it looks very different than a picture book. It is black and white. There's a lot of words on those page. Um, it really gives you a sense. Can that kid decode without any picture support? Can that child decode multisyllabic words? And the truth is, a lot of kids are struggling. And the reason that they've been struggling is because we haven't prioritized the foundational skills as much as we should have. Of course, reading recovery did many great things. I sit in my basement and I still do cut ups with sentences and so forth, but we could have done better. And I think that saying that. Acadians doesn't give a lot of information. It's a pulse. Uh,
1: It's not what I said. Uh, What I said was, it's not a good enough measure of comprehension to merit spending millions of dollars on it. And more importantly, and I really want to make this point, uh, this isn't the only place where this has come up. We have that thought, oh, if we teach him to decode, the comprehension is going to automatically come. That is totally incorrect.
2: But it's not what the
1: NRP showed. That is not what our testing. I didn't in-
2: finish. What? I didn't finish. Let me just OK,
1: finish.
2: I'm sorry. So the oral reading fluency. Yes, it doesn't have a lot of those deeper questions. It's more of a retell, right? And the retell does give you information of did they understand what they just read? And yes, some people might scream, oh, it's only one minute. But once again, it's a pulse check. And it tells you, do I need to go further with that child? But let's be honest, Dr. Sam, um, there were books in level literacy. If I took those words off the page, even in level A, there was like multi, or level B or C, there was multi-syllabic words at times. And I put it on the pa- on a blank piece of paper, would the kid be able to read that word? The answer is very likely, no.
0: All right. Can I just jump in? I can't wait. Okay. So, Safe, are you mad at me? Are you liking no, me? No, no, no. I want to clarify a couple of things. So, um, Doctor Sam, you mentioned maze. I want to just explain to people what maze is. All right, it is um, the old closed type type of assessment where words are left out, and mm-hmm. children, if they're understanding what they're reading they will be able to pick a word from the choices that would fit. Now, you had said that context cueing, according to science of reading is a bad thing, and yet this is what's used on the maze. However, what we should not be using context to decode words. That's what people from the science of reading side will say that it's not um, the context using context is wrong for meaning, of course, we use context to understand vocabulary. Of course, we use context. It's using context to be able to decode a word rather than first looking at a word and decoding through it and then confirming our choices with context. That's number one. Let me just let me just okay. finish. that's number one. The other part, what Judy did say is that we don't just, when we do a Dibbles or Acadians, you are doing ORF, which is oral reading fluency, and there you're looking for accuracy, the correct number of words, right, that a child is reading in conjunction with what she said, a retell. The retail is extremely important because although you're not using expression necessarily, some kids will, but okay. the idea is the number of words that kids use in the retail correlates, right? It corresponds to the ORF. Together, it is really meant to give a picture, a snapshot a benchmark about how kids are comprehending. And there is a correlation between oral reading fluency and comprehension, especially in these elementary school grades. As they get older, there are more things that come into play. But certainly at the elementary school level, there is a tremendous amount of evidence that supports ORF, used with retail and used with maze. Maze is a silent reading comprehension, while ORF, of course, they're reading out loud, but they're still trying to read and understand for meaning. And if they have to retell, then they're expected that they should understand it. So your thoughts now, Dr. Sam, I just wanted to clarify.
1: Okay. Uh, of part of what jumped at me immediately is the length of the uh, passages on the uh, on the oral retail, and we're not talking about full passages. Uh, we're talking about sentence. Uh, you, if you're taking, if you're doing a minute, is that what you said, or did I so miss? Well,
2: it calculates how much. So it is a full passage. It calculates how many words per minute you were reading within that passage. Some kids get further in the passage than others, based on if they're. You know, if the decoding is easy for them, if their phrasing with fluency is great, so it gives you a very quick pulse. It is a full article; they don't all get to it, but within a couple of paragraphs, did you did you did you or did you not understand what you read? You get a very quick idea. And what's nice about it, it doesn't do one passage; it gives them three grade level passages to get an average because it's better to get more information. But what's nice is it's one minute. It gives a very good amount of information very quickly. And the real truth is, it's not the end-all-be-all. It's a screener, and there's other assessment tools that could be used. It, you precisely,
1: have precisely. Okay. And that the one minute is what okay. caught my ear. Right. And when you're talking about the kind of thing a kid needs, to compare that to what a kid needs to do on most state assess- assessments. Okay, and what you'll find is, uh, and as a predictive instrument, I'll accept this as a predictive instrument, as an instrument showing that the kids are really comprehending in the same way and with the same quality of information that you would get from a state test with a full passage and actual questions, uh, not so much. What you have is a correlation test here. So I'm just saying you're not using the strongest possible test of uh, comprehension. And that's understandable because this is not a Meant to be a comprehension test. This is a screening test, and this is a screening test that is very, 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 very heavy on decoding and lighter on uh, comprehension. So, uh, and that create that's just creating the situation where what we have is this wonderful self fulfilling prophecy. And I, I really want to bring this next point up strongly, and that is other kinds of training like this. Where we have the training uh for the um uh, letters test. Okay. And the 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 research demonstrates that the teachers really get the letter knowledge, blasy, blasy, blase, but no impact on reading scores. And there are multiple things for that. So what I'm saying is I'm I'm a person looking for common ground. And the potential common ground here is really simple, and that is you need to do the comprehension and the uh, the teaching of the uh, decoding concurrently, and you need to make sure that you're giving enough weight to the teaching of the comprehension. Uh, so, what what I will accept from a Dibbles eight is that you've succeeded in improving uh, decoding skills. I'm not going to accept that you've actually. You 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 might be giving some hopeful indications that you're improving comprehension skills, but until and unless they take a full test of comprehension, I'm not really ready to accept that. And most importantly, uh, especially given the letters results that say, "Hmm, getting the decoding done is not enough." I want to know that there is enough, and and so I, I think our potential common ground here is that we have to shoot for both things. We have to have comprehension and decoding built into these t- tests. And for 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 them to claim that this is showing a reading improvement when the majority of the test is really more around very short passages. You know, I, I think we're around to the point where sure. what Pete David Pearson said was, what science of reading has been able to demonstrate is that ki- kids can read uh, isolated words from word lists. In very, very short passages. And we're not really getting to the issue, the issue of what happens when you go to the full passage, what happens to that kind of deep thinking that, that goes on. That's not there. That's not present in this test. So I, I just, I have to push back and say, no, this is a fine predictive test. This is a fine screening test, but this is not a fine comprehension test. I won't accept that.
0: Okay, have I, have I, I just have a quick question. Yeah, have you ever do. used have you ever used dibbles or Acadians or any of these measures?
1: I've used Dibbles before uh, a while back. And, and uh so the answer is uh yes, I, I've had some experience with it. Uh, but my main experience is with actual tests of comprehension, which is the kind of thing that uh Mel uh, Duke has put out, and if we're going to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars, I want it to be on the best possible test for that. And if we're going to make claims that we're improving reading, then I want the test to have lots more items around comprehension than it does around. Uh, back in the day when when I was doing uh, this kind of testing, uh, it, it was at least a half and half balance, and I'm not seeing that here.
2: Well, I'm actually happy that screeners aren't uh, that long, because what's been happening for many years, especially with running records, is we were wasting so much instructional time. Teacher, A lot of teachers weren't doing them right. You know, maybe the reading recovery teacher was doing them right, but the other teachers weren't. They didn't follow a scope and sequence. We were asking kids, um, sometimes kids in higher grades, sixth, sixth grade or fifth grade, um maybe they were at a level C. So we were asking them the most basic questions that was very uncomfortable for a lot of kids. You know, why is the cat here? Or what, you know, very simplistic questions. So that was problematic. And, you know, you do mention a good point that if we just focus on decoding in isolation, you're 100% right, Dr. Sam. We will not get the results we need. The missing piece in general has been also application. Kids need a lot of time for application, and I think unless we really, and I I don't care if I talk about it till the day I die on every episode, unless we devote that proper amount of time of looking at what we're doing in phonics time and applying it into passages, and like you said, reading longer passages, of course that's important. Foundations has long passages. Um, I'm sitting in my office today. Faith knows, right? I did three sessions today with kids. We were reading decodable books. And guess what? As I was working with the decodable books, guess what I was doing? I was asking questions. You can ask questions with decodable texts too. But I do understand your point. Yes, meaning is important. We, oh, Everybody, I think, and I think on every episode we've talked about it, there's knowledge building, there's read-alouds, there's so many things that do incorporate that meaning. But we have to admit there were a lot of flaws in the way we. we oh, okay, did. and as a centrist, not only. Oh, oh like, sure. Like, like you know, I'll never forget. There was a book that I was reading with a kid at my one of my sites a couple of years back, and it had the word knife. The word knife in the very early reader. Why did a kid have to know the word knife with a uh, with a silent k? Because it was assuming that the child would look at the picture of the knife. And if a kid didn't, if English was their second language, boom, they lost a a point for that word or a word in an early reader like excavator, excavator, or tractor, or a millipede. So I think that I would love to hear a little bit more about what assessment tools you find to be most comprehensive for comprehension. And also, are they taking a lot of time away from instruction because we don't want to do that as well?
1: Well, in my own practice, I'm I'm using, uh, I'm not going to name the product because that would be seem like I'm promoting the product.
2: Right. And we don't do no, that, but wait, there, wait, okay.
1: Wait. There's a, a product out there that does, has some very simple passages and then has questions with them. And that's how I get a sense of whether or not the kids are comprehending. At the same time, the same product allows me to have the kids record. The same passage, so that I can get a a sense of how their readings going along, and at the same time, my particular program is a supplement. It's not the main program, so and we are using a. uh, They are using a uh, basal that uh, I I think uh, uh, Shanahan helped to write. So uh, they definitely have that scope and sequence. So basically, for me in that role, uh, I'm scoping out how things are going with the child. A a really important point I want to make here because I've been, you know, sounding like, oh, he's just against SOR. He's not going to say anything bad about the uh, other. Uh, Okay. A, A centrist has got to say something. And what I've got to say is back in the day where I think things went off the tracks is that we had synthetic and analytic phonics going on. And the whole language and the other kind of people tended to go with the analytic, which will get the job done with a lot of kids. But the problem is there's a lot of kids that it won't get the job done on. And the problem is those kids absolutely need the synthetic. So getting that kind of synthetic phonics built into programs is something I've advocated for. The other half is...
0: I just want to explain what those two mean, because I think there are people listening and they won't know what you're talking about. All right, so,
1: which is a shame. Which is so something no, that, needs be, that needs to be that needs uh, to that's be. That's something that needs to be taken care of at the university level. But go ahead.
0: Well, I, it's not just teachers listening to this, and so we have parents listening to this, and we welcome everyone listening. And quite honestly, you know, somebody not in the field really has no reason to know what synthetic phonics would mean. So synthetic is starting with the pieces, pushing sounds together to build a word. You're synthesizing, you're putting things together. Where analytic phonics is looking at the whole and recognizing if there's something they could pull out and then make associations with in order to be able to read the word. And both can work, as Dr. Sam is saying, But I wanna add that synthetic phonics actually has a lot of research behind it. And I know both can work, but certainly um, what we are finding is synthetic phonics has a very strong research base and does work for most children out there. And that's why it is sweeping the country now. That's why the UK has a phonics check That's why they've been recommending synthetic phonics. And
1: the UK has done it for 10 years and still has not had a significant increase in uh, decrease. They are flat. And if you listen to my last week's uh, uh, podcast, uh, where I interviewed two teachers who were working with those kids from UK, what this kind of purely synthetic phonics thing is pr- producing are word callers. Kids they can't can decode it just fine, don't remember a thing of what they decode. And I know that people are saying, oh no no, 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 that that's a pre-existing condition, not at all. Uh, the the research on it, Nell Duke has said and so has P. David Pearson that a large number of the children testing low on uh, state tests are word callers. They can decode just fine. So on the one hand, I don't want to shortchange the kids that need the synthetic phonics. And, uh, you know, I was teaching synthetic phonics when it wasn't cool to do that. So you don't have to convince me of that. Uh, what I did, one change I have made over the past couple of years is saying, Hey, you need that synthetic phonics in your tier one program, period. Uh, you can't leave that out. Uh, but on the other hand, if you have that, but you don't also include the things for the word callers. You don't also include the things for the kids that need analytic phonics and survive on that. And I'll remind you that uh, my, my very first question to Tim Shanahan, like five years ago, was uh, which is superior? And his answer was, you know, they neither, uh, they both work. But I go with what you're saying, and that is, we have to have that synthetic phonics and that was the missing link uh, for the analytic part of things. And for people that do it that way, if you don't do it systematically, you're going to hurt your kids. And by systematically and what we didn't do back in the day, what I do do now is I have a I still have the checklist uh, from the, the Shanahan's uh uh basal, and I know what sounds are supposed to be knowing. And even though I'm uh, with some of these kids doing an analytic kind of approach, I still go back and check. I still go back periodically and make sure they're picking up those, these sounds and teaching them. And that's how to bring systematic into the analytic part of things. But we have to teach all the kids. We have to, and word callers are the most neglected kids right now. Uh, and we even deny they exist. So we need a program that does all that. So I'm, I'm looking for common ground. I'm criticizing both sides, but but I'm also saying uh, for the back on the this topic, I'm really thinking uh, what this particular study has proven is that if you do a really strong uh, phonics program, you're going to get really strong results on the test that's, test that. But the question remains: What happens when you test with a complete test of comprehension? And I, I think some of the data from the letters testing and things like that show that we need more. So I, I guess I'm starting to talk about phonics plus. Uh, you need phonics plus a really strong comprehension component, and I bet we're on common ground there. <laughs> um,
0: so you know, and and here's where I do agree with you, Doctor S- Doctor Sam, as far as Looking at the big picture, I think we need the phonics, like you said, kids need to decode, but perhaps we've been ignoring the language component, the language comprehension, building vocabulary. Um, And that could be why sometimes if we just focus on one part, which of course, the science of reading does not just say Phonics. If we go back to the national reading panel, we had phonemic awareness, we had phonics, we have fluency, we have vocabulary, we have reading comprehension, which obviously is all based on strong content knowledge and, and language. So again, I think that this science of reading is being misinterpreted by some people by saying, well, it's only about phonics it's not about phonics i know you're looking at that on the dibbles assessment saying it's phonics heavy because if you break down the skills yes there's nonsense word fluency there's um you know initial sound fluency you're looking at the finite skills these individual components but by the time they get to oral reading and retell and the maze that definitely is a reflection of some basic phonics, and then just, I want to just finish, but then you go further. It's like taking someone's temperature. You don't stop there. If there's a flag and it says, oh, you know what? These kids are struggling. It looks like they, you know, they're struggling with retail. Maybe we need to go further. Then you use a diagnostic instrument, but we're talking about really a benchmark and progress monitoring. The Dibbles was not designed to go deeply into something like a diagnostic tool, but it will flag those kids who are struggling. No? It,
1: it will def- and that's exactly what it is. Uh, so you've got a, a, a instrument that's pretty good, very good, actually. I, I'll say more than just pretty good. Very good at, for that purpose. But to then claim that you've now taught reading, Um, No, I'm not going to accept that because uh, if if I'm a superintendent getting ready to spend several million dollars, I'm going to want some additional data that shows that it goes the next step further. Just doing, just teaching the phonics and teaching the decoding skills isn't enough. And the letters training data shows that.
0: Nobody ever said that was enough. Nobody well, so you see, but that's, I guess that's what I'm thinking this report is
1: saying, by by claiming that they've improved reading, when in point of fact, most of what they've improved is decoding. They haven't really, to my satisfaction at least, especially if I were a superintendent spending millions of dollars, I'd want a little more data on the comprehension side of things.
2: Okay, okay. so I—I I, you were frozen for a second, Dr. Sam Faith. You were frozen. I'm back. I guess I missed a little bit of the fun. But I just want to chime in. So for a long time in New York City schools and in a lot of the nation, you know, I started teaching in 2000 and it was uh, phonics was on its way out. Balanced literacy was coming in with a sprinkle of phonics. We closed our doors. We still did some grammar instruction. But anyway, based on the data that I've been seeing in schools for a very long time on state assessments, guess what? The kids aren't doing really well. And that was even before when we were using different approaches. So I think there's a real urgency because we cannot deny, do you know how many kids, stop the Sam, sit there and take that state exam and they cannot read one word on the page? Do you know what that probably feels like to a kid to sit there and know in their mind, maybe they comprehend great in life, you know, they might have great conversations with people and be really funny, but to, to sit there and take a state exam and not be able to read a word Or maybe read a couple of words and then not even to be able to write a sentence. That feels shitty. And that was before we even shifted the approach. So I think we have to really embrace what the research is saying. And I think that 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 doesn't mean that we have to throw out everything we did in the past, but we've been giving a lot of attention to meaning for a very, very long time in schools and the results weren't so good. And my guess And my professional judgment, because I work with kids every damn day, and I go to work every day, and I'm with kids after school, and Faith knows she's the same way, there's a lot of kids that are struggling. And what was happening, unfortunately, for a lot of kids, and especially the kids that I work with privately, they would have a, 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 a reader's workshop in their class, and then they would have foundations for 30 minutes, Kids were getting very, very confused, especially fragile kids. You know, Sam, there was always kids that did fine no matter what. I think the research shows that 40% of kids, you could probably spin them upside down in classroom while you're teaching the lesson, they're going to do fine. So I think Judy mentioned something that's very important,
0: Dr. Sam. She mentioned what's been in existence for all these years. And kids were not improving, and that was through... Um, what we know as comprehension-focused type of guided reading work—it wasn't an emphasis. You're your
1: painting with a very, very, very broad brush, okay? And the broad brush that you're painting with is saying, "Oh, we're looking at everybody. They've got all these different things." When you paint with a slightly more focused brush, what worked when, and what works where, and were there places where things worked? And I think the answer is I can find places using balanced literacy that work just fine. And I can also find places that use science of reading.
0: Um, very um, well-off districts could use about just about anything.
1: I wasn't teaching in a well-off district. I was teaching in a district with uh, 90% free lunch. And we were using workshop type methods, and we were the best scoring state in our uh, uh, best scoring building in our state uh, uh, using those kinds of methods. So don't throw that out, please, because I've done I've done it. I've seen it done. On the other hand, uh, uh, this whole business of, oh, we're in a crisis uh, and things have gotten worse. The fact is that what you said about things being flat is totally accurate. What, uh what what all the data uh, I George Hubery uh just uh, told me about this uh likewise uh, um Tom Lovelace the scores on the NAP have been flat and they have been flat even in the time when you have a large number of soR things going on uh oh. and it has remained flat and you know and I'm sorry but when, when you look at the that data, uh, there's just uh, there are several major studies. One just came out that's saying uh, right now we're kind of at, we are at a plateau, and if you're going to move it, I don't think you're going to move it just by going to one extreme or the other. I think you're going to move it by uh, taking things from all sides and, and putting together your best program. And- I would agree
0: with that. I would agree with you with that. I think Judy would too. I think. That we would all agree that we need to look at best practices in every area of reading. I don't think anybody would argue with that. I think, though, when you say that science of reading is all phonics.
1: Didn't ever say that, did I? I don't remember saying that.
0: No, no, it sounds as though what you're saying is the dibbles is heavy on phonics. That's the assessment that kids are being um, looked at, and then um, we can't just use something like that because it's so phonics heavy, and that you know it's sounds- that's a
1: matter of making sure you have the right testing instrument. You need a testing instrument to test both, and there's nothing wrong with that thought. There's okay. nothing that's saying that's anti-science of reading.
2: Okay, so ask- Faith, I want to jump in. I want to ask him an honest question. Dr. Sam, I, I, would you say that running records should still continue?
1: Uh for, for the general population, no. Uh within within the way and especially the way they were being used, no. Uh within the specifics of a recovery teacher doing it properly, uh right. yes. Uh it, it's a, a a quick assessment. And uh in, in terms of it, you know getting into the how the way we implemented some programs, boy, we need some great improvement. Uh but I'll just go back to my point that I think, and I even made a little graph about this. There are places that you can find that are using quite successfully things that you might call balanced literacy. And Presley just came out with his newest book about it. And there, there, there is evidence that these kinds of things can work when done properly. There's equal evidence out there that are saying uh, some of the science of reading things. And what uh, uh, the person i want to talk about the most right now is amanda goodman what amanda goodman did she was the co-editor on those two special issues of reading research quarterly and when those researchers got together and did the final call on their on those and they they had people from all kinds of points of view what she found was when the researchers talked to each other They stopped seeing each other. They stopped seeing the camp so much and started seeing the common ground. And that, I think, is a potential model for how we could and should proceed. I think Amanda Goodwin was really into something on that. And I think we have to stop thinking in binaries. We have to start admitting the weaknesses of all approaches. We have to look for the strongest things from each approach and put those together. And the other part that I really wanna say something about, there's science of reading as uh, done through, by people like uh, uh, Tim Shanahan. And I have nothing but the deepest respect for him. I don't always agree with him, but that man knows his stuff. And that man to my mind is a science of reading person. That's a true science of reading person. Now you've got another group, the the social media group, that are science of reading wannabes and who have a hidden agenda. They want to sell their phonics products. That's the bottom line of it. Uh, And they are just, uh, Seidenberg doesn't like them. Uh, 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 Tim Shanahan has said things like, they make stuff up. Uh, So that is giving everybody, especially the science of reading, a bad name. And that social media version of science of reading is what I push back against the hardest uh, when they start put, putting out things that are just absurd. So bottom line is, we have to get the actual researchers back together. We've got to get them talking to each other just like Amanda did. Um, and and uh, we've got to be looking uh, to take things from all sides. And uh, I, I don't think, I, I don't talk in dichotomies, please. Uh, let's talk about best pr- best practices wherever the practice comes from.
0: Okay, so you had mentioned before that you see the points of synthetic phonics, and well, more than
1: that, uh, you're looking at a true believer. <laughs> yes.
0: Okay, but then you also are um, supporting reading recovery. And I don't think reading recovery is synthetic phonics. So which is it in terms of which would be best for intervention?
1: Now, in terms, uh, that is a mistake that I, uh, and my recovery people are going to hit me on this, but that's a mistake that goes back to Marie Clay. Marie Clay was a strong believer in analytic phonics. And by and large, she made it work. uh, And, uh, she resisted it, I think in the long run, uh, the, at the very least, what the what those kind of programs have to do is make sure that the phonics that they're teaching gets systematic. And, and I am in there pushing for, uh, yes, let's do some of that direct synthetic uh, phonics kinds of instruction. Uh, but on, on, on the other hand, remember that recovery is a quick intervention designed to bring kids up. And it isn't for everybody, but for the kids for whom it works, it does bring them up. And once they're brought up, mm-hmm. if they go back to a school setting that's working, those re- th- those gains remain. If they go back to a school setting that's not working, those gains don't remain. Well, that's not a giant surprise.
0: So Judy was a reading recovery teacher. I, so was I. <laughs> right, and and I was a first grade teacher, and I was trained in reading recovery um so I, I think we're all quite familiar with this I'm
2: really 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 yeah. so yeah that.
0: so Judy, so wait a minute so let yeah. me just say so Judy knows reading recovery Judy would you say you know from what Dr. Sam is saying it's not for everyone then who is it for Judy Tell me, really? I'm, I'm confused. If it's an intervention, a first grade intervention program, I taught first grade. I know how kids were chosen for reading recovery. They took the bottom 20% and then they picked the ones who they thought would be most successful in this program, not necessarily the kids at the very bottom. So my thought is in,
2: you know, hearing this, what was percent. Who exactly is this for? So I, so, so I, can I talk a little bit about it? I'm asking you. Okay. So when I was in reading recovery, which I haven't been in for the last seven years, my life is devoted to structured literacy. And I really spoken about my journey as honestly as possible. So when I was taking kids, I would say that, yes the first round of kids were the kids that were like i remember back then and i hate talking about levels cuz i don't really believe in level literacy uh anymore especially for beginning readers but it would be um like kids that could read a little bit like maybe a b or c level in first grade and then the second round of kids and with even taking that amount of kids so i'd have four kids Usually, I would discontinue that meant maybe, you know, that they're going to be, quote, unquote, successful leaders. I didn't have 100% success rate. Two of them very often did well. Two of them did kind of well and maybe could have done better. And then the second round of kids were actually the lowest kids. Those are the ones that I took for second round students. The theory behind that was that those students had more time to be in the classroom, develop some more language skills, and now give them the attention. They really struggled with those kids. A lot of my bottom kids, I don't think it was the best approach for them. I think there were much better options. I think I was teaching those kids to decode words. They were English language learners. They shouldn't have been seeing multisyllabic words that didn't follow a scope and sequence. So if I have to be really honest I don't think it's the best intervention. Did I learn many things that will change that changed who I am forever? Yes. Do I think I'm a better teacher because of the experience and training that I got? In many ways, yes. But there were flaws. We didn't learn enough phonics, following the scope and sequence that should have been there. Um, it should have really matched more with, okay, this is what you're doing in foundations. Now I'm going to help you with this. So it aligns because the brain doesn't like to get confused. Oh, this is what I'm seeing here. I'm seeing this here, And, and what I'm saying, what my big push this year for, as I jump back into the schools, and I can't wait to do that. Guided reading might have not been the best approach. That doesn't mean that you couldn't have explicit structured small group using a more structured approach. I have templates for modified templates from letters for that. That doesn't mean you can't use a tier one or tier two support like an intervention or uh, from a program like- Judy, I'm gonna stop you a second. I'm gonna stop you a second. I feel there's better options. And I do feel that if, you know, years ago, and this is the last thing I want to really say, because it's important to me. So years ago, like my gut was telling me, hmm, reading recovery had so many good things, but the phonics was just missing. And then as I was learning more and more, I wanted to call reading recovery. I wanted to say, listen, guys, there's a missing piece. Let's make it work. Let's bring in those decodables. Let's change what we're doing. But you know what, now I'm kind of like far removed from that. I think there's better options for struggling readers. And I do think what Sam says is important. We don't want a generation of decoders because we need to make sure that the five pillars of literacy instruction are in each classroom plus knowledge building and plus application of reading a lot of text that matches what we're learning in isolation. All right, so-
1: Okay, well, I really have to chime in with a very quick defense of recovery. And that is that. uh, Rather than doing like personally, uh, you know, this is what how it worked for me. And and by the way, it did work for me. Uh, uh, But uh,
0: what does that mean? What does that mean? uh,
1: That means that I was only able to do it for one year, but I was highly successful. I was in a building overall that included recovery as part of what it was doing, and it was the highest scoring. Uh, urban building in the state for that year so uh yes I've
2: seen,
1: uh, I've seen that work but but, but but the point i want to get to is that the research on this it shows that uh the that it does have a very positive impact uh the what doesn't need to be done and this is something i'm uh, talking to reegh recovery people about all the time. It doesn't work for dyslexic children. Uh, and uh, if there's an easy way to screen those out, you should. But uh, otherwise, that idea of getting them caught up in a hurry and getting them back in- into the regular classroom to benefit from the p- program, Susan Vincent was able to make that work for years and has data to show that it worked in her district for years.
0: So it's not a total I wash. Said- I've had students, and I've been doing this for also a very long time. Um, I've been in education for over thirty five years, and I could tell you that I have worked with some kids who struggled, whether they were dyslexic or not. They went through reading recovery, and they were actually worse off because then they had the habit of guessing and yeah. using. If if a recovery teacher is
1: teaching a child to guess, they're teaching. They're not teaching recovery. They're not doing it properly. They
0: were following what? Excuse me. They were following what they were told, and they were told to use context. They were told to use context. And they were using the first letter, they were getting their mouths ready. They these were kids doing what they were told. And that was what reading recovery.
1: I have a single word for you, and that's cross-checking. And if the teacher wasn't doing a proper job of teaching right. about cross-checking, if the te- if the teacher was overdoing one uh, system of information and underdoing another, then so they're not doing their job the properly, first, and re- that will that like will result the, in guessers. But it doesn't have to be that, that
0: way. The first line of reading should be to say the sounds and read the words left to right all through the word reading. Actually, that's a place where we're on
1: common ground. Okay, Uh, That's something I'm doing with my kids now. So there I agree with you.
0: Okay. So then the cross-checking is really after kids decode and then use context. No,
1: the cross-checking comes in when if the kid has got a word that they can't decode, that for one reason or another is irregular. That's when you start in the rest of that process. That?
2: Can I talk about that? I really want to talk about it. I really. okay. sure. But I, I have okay. some things, too. All okay. right. So I do think that we were confusing many kids. We were asking fragile beginner readers, does this make sense? Does it sound right? Does it look right? That's a lot of stuff. The first course of action should be looking at the word and making the sounds. I fully, fully, based on my work that I do with kids every day in the field, like there's a lot of other podcasters, I don't know, and a lot of other researchers, they have information, but working in the field is very, very important information. The first course of action should be sliding through a word and making the sounds. And also... Even if we weren't instructing kids to guess, very often they were because they weren't given the proper tools on how to decode a word. So even if I didn't say, oh, guess the word, because I never said guess the word, without giving a child the tools on how to decode a word, what ends up happening is they do begin to
0: guess.
2: Wait, 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 I'm not finished. And the other point that I want to make, very often we were doing things like sneak peeks to give kids meaning, 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 meaning before you even start to read, because we didn't believe that the kids would be able to decode those words. Over
1: scabbling into story.
2: And 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 we were teaching kids to cross-check looking at the picture and the words. Move your head this way, move your head that way. And meaning, meaning, meaning in your head. But that wasn't the best force of action, having them decode based on looking at a picture, because guess what? That's not decoding. So it's not- and exactly.
1: there we so just had, I you. have to respectfully disagree with you. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to uh, cite Scanlon. Uh, she's got like 20 years of research that says otherwise.
0: Okay. Okay. And let's talk You mentioned, it. Dr. Sam, you mentioned irregular words. But if kids are very strong with their decoding skills, They can manage words that are not as regular as some other ones. So the point is, the way reading was taught many years ago, the way I was taught, that kids should memorize a lot of sight words before they even had a Terrible way to do it. Terrible way
1: to do it. That, by the way, is a sight-same method. It's been. Uh, it, they say that that was whole language. Actually, it's not. Sight say was its with its own little Bailey And sight say was the first uh, uh, way of uh, doing reading that was disproven by research. That's what the first grade studies did. This first grade studies indicated that doing it that way was terrible. And yet, we are now fifty years in front of that, and we still have teachers doing it that way. That's a terrible way to do it. I'll just go on record as saying it.
0: Okay. All right. So, I mean. I think what we are getting back to is this idea of your term centrist, right? I have to tell you, I don't love that word, centrist. You call yourself a centrist. Could you define what centrist is to us? Because to me, centrist means in the middle. Yet, I have to say, and I'm saying this, um, as respectfully as I can. If I look at your Twitter account, Dr. Sam, it really doesn't appear as though you are in the center based on the people who follow you and the people who you quote. Um, I very rarely, I think, would see you going on the side of, um, you know, people who are deep into the science of reading. You mentioned Shanahan, but um, you know, I want to understand what centrist means because to me that means basically
1: for, for means me, what it means it is no first first and foremost is what it means is we need to do away with the dichotomous thinking. Okay. okay. Uh dichotomous thinking simply leads to pendulum swings. So mm-hmm. we need to get rid of the dichotomous thinking. We need to do and go back to what Amanda Goodwin had had heard. Uh, researchers do, and that is talk to one another and now, f- fi- right? find out People and, find and
0: to each other.
1: So, uh, and talking to one another and finding out what the what really is, it most of all means not using straw men on either side. Okay, so uh, you, you can't use the weakest link uh, to describe what's going on. Uh, and I, I think. But you have people like Tim Rosinski coming up with the idea of artfully teaching the science of reading. What a brilliant stroke. What a brilliant stroke on his part. Uh, and look at what he did uh in terms of teaching prosody. He turned things on their head. Uh, most people look at prosody as something that happens. After you've got it, but he's looking at it as you use prosody to teach comprehension, and those folks in England are making that happen. So okay, I
0: can, I'm going to stop you right there. Okay, so one, on. yeah, okay. So I, I, we, we had Tim Rosinski on. That's we, funny that Tim, you guys mentioned him. And I just and we, we admired him today. Tim yeah, Rzinski, and he has contributed so much to reading and. I am a big believer that fluency is a missing link and more attention should be paid to fluency. However, all right, when you talk about in England, which you said they flatlined, right? And now you're talking about what they're doing there with fluency, those kids had strong phonics from the start.
1: Yes, they did. And some of them turned into word callers because of it.
0: Okay, it's, it's just like,
1: that simple. So
0: wait a minute! Don't you think maybe they are actually ready to be able to receive some of this great Tim Razinski instruction and in fluency because they had a strong foundation in the letters and sounds and that connection? They didn't need to go backwards and start relearning that piece. That
1: might be true in the third graders, but to these to? these teachers were working with kids uh, from the very get go. So the the answer is, yes, that would be true with their older children, but it's not true with the younger children. And the big point here is that uh, we need to be looking at all the different ways of doing things. And most especially, we need to stop listening to the pseudoscience of reading people that are that are. And those are the people I push back against the most. And those are the people whose ire I uh, gain the most. Basically, Nobody likes him. I mean, Shanahan doesn't like him. Uh, 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 Come on, come on. Seidenberg doesn't like him. Uh, We've got to get out of this dichotomous thinking. And uh, science of reading in and of itself is not going to be, we've been there before. And I think if you listen to Ruby's tale, we've been here before. Going to either extreme doesn't work. You can't go. You can't go overly on the meaning. You can't go overly on the decoding. And not only that, you need to do them scientific si- simultaneously at first. And that's the component that's often missing. We're not doing it science simultaneously at, uh, in. That's a huge problem. Judy,
0: what does simultaneous mean to you? What it
1: means to me is that if I'm helping a child uh, work through, well, well let's just say, if you're teaching recovery and I'm teaching it properly, children are producing uh, sentences daily. So when they go to do that sentence production, they get a chance, a chance to find out what letters they're not understanding, what sound symbols they don't know, and uh, you're. T- but you're teaching them at the end of the day that whatever sentence it is that they create ought to make sense. So. Uh, just spotting off some sight uh, uh, words or, or memor- you know, citing off a sight word list, it ought to make sense. That should be the first job one of any reader. It, when all is said and done, it ought to make sense. And if it's not making sense, you need to go back and reread and figure out why not.
0: So I, I'm well, just... anybody asking, Faith Word, you asking me something? I, I was, yes, I I wanted to ask you, so simultaneous right? Instruction. I get you need to include all the components, but are you going to teach kids all these higher level comprehension type um, ideas while they're first learning how to read? Or are I'm you going
1: to make sure that they understand that they, they are supposed to make meaning out of it. Yes. I'm not sure that that's such a high skill.
0: Making meaning. Could also be once kids are taught to accurately decode. Yes, you want to make sure they're understanding. Yeah, that's
1: that's if back to not- if if they can decode they'll automatically or. No, or I didn't say comprehend. automatically. That's I been discredited by so many studies.
0: I never said automatically. The, the you, piece reading. Okay, we, I want oh, yeah, to know how no. you interpret. How do you interpret simultaneous instruction? When you're saying comprehension and meaning and decoding? According to what Dr. Sam is saying, everything should be taught together from the beginning. And in my mind, if you're teaching kids how to decode, you're also teaching them to comprehend, but you're going to get better comprehension activities from read alouds and talking about books and engaging in conversations around books that they might not be able to read by by themselves yet.
2: What are your thoughts? So I do think code and meaning is at the core of the work that we do in schools. I think that schools are shifting to adopt um, curriculums now, which I think is amazing. And I've been looking at some of the curriculums and, you know, we're going to see curriculums. They're always going to have holes, Right but if we have the knowledge like the letters training but also that application piece that we're in the classroom learning how to deliver lessons well using the science in my interpretation science of reading there is read alouds i've been looking at the lessons in a lot of the new curriculums there's a lot of comprehension going on there is writing pieces where there's also reading texts and responding to text and thinking deeper about those texts. There, For me, I, I'm very big on phrasing and fluency. And I've spoken about this on early episodes. And yes, it's very hard for a kid to sound phrased and fluent when they're just learning how to read. However... I will sometimes make them reread a familiar book that they were just reading the other day. Like for instance, I was working with a child today and I sent him a book home that he read three days ago. And it was, It was, you know, some of the skills were easier because I'm hoping to foster that phrasing and fluency. And sometimes we reread sentences together. And sometimes we do echo reading or choral reading. And the science does allow for that. I was just going to say, that is what Judy is
0: saying. Those are all ways to build fluency, rereading.
2: And, you know, and even vocabulary looking at prefixes looking at suffixes looking at morphology that all ties in to making meaning so for me in a structured literacy classroom all those pieces of those pillars have to be there now it might look a little bit different than the questions we used to ask for leveled literacy uh the oh what genre was the book oh you didn't know the genre boom you were losing points on that one you know what I mean it's still there. And I do think meaning is important. And I do think that we can tie meaning in, even in phonics programs. When we're reading those decodable texts, I'm still asking a lot of those questions. I'm still pushing the thinking.
1: Okay, (laughs) you seem to be a fan of decodable texts, but the research on it is not indicating that they are any better. Uh, And, uh, you know, Jan Richardson just wrote a piece uh, for me and cited all that research. So decodables in and of themselves are not a, a, the solution or a solution.
2: Uh, and all about.
1: of this has to do with scaffolding. Uh, on those For the very youngest readers, you need to have some form of scaffolding so they have something to start with. And uh, with the problem with the early decodables, everybody's well aware of, is they were meaningless. Okay. Oh, yes. I can show you examples. I'm sorry. I, have
2: many that are early, I did not many.
1: say today. I said early on, and that is true. Early on, there were way too many of them were simply meaningless. Well, that has improved very well done immensely,
0: but that's are. how it started. Yeah. Okay? There are very um, well done decodables. Yes, there are. And, um,
1: and I use some of them, by the way.
0: Good, good. Okay. <laughs> So you mentioned, but, but I, I wait, a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mentioned Dr. Seidenberg earlier when you were um, talking about the real science of reading people. You mentioned Dr. Seidenberg
1: and Dr. Shanahan.
0: Yes, and you did say, however, that Dr. Seiden um, Seidenberg said that it is a settled science, and yet no,
1: I never said no, no, no. He's so one that he says, says that it's not
0: settled. I've never science. heard
1: him. Uh, it, it find me a quote where he says that I never don't think he ever did
0: well I think you said something about it being if I did mistaken. I misspoke <laughs> so maybe I misunderstood or, or read something I remember I'm
1: good I, for misspeaking so I, I could have misspoken
0: okay um well you know it's I know Seidenberg said it's a work in progress, right? Absolutely. Science That's what he said. is always a work in progress. but And I think I commented on Twitter when you said something like that. And I said, yes, it's a work in progress, but we have to take what science tells us now and try to use it to the best of our abilities And to know what we can.
1: Even when someone like Seidenberg says, be careful about using the brain research a little too early because it may not be, it's not ready for prime time.
0: What is, okay, but so (laughs) wait, wait a minute. So I'm not talking about something that is on the edge. We're talking about study after study after study that shows that certain elements have been proven to work. So even if it's a work in progress, we might tweak things here or there as we learn and we we know better. But don't you think that the majority of people should respect science if we have... Absolutely.
1: And the majority of people should respect the fact that some of these other alternative approaches, including balanced literacy, have a strong research base. Uh, Scanlon has an amazingly... Large research base. So, what uh, you do not, uh, the science of reading gurus do not own uh, all the science. There's a ton of research that supports things. And the so part that, that kind like of gets me wrong is, is when it they start, like
0: my science is they
1: use it to prove. <laughs> they use science to prove what they want to prove rather than using science you know, as I, it's supposed Dr. to be.
2: And that a is a discovery. Dr. Sam, I take a little bit of offense when we say they. If we're going to try to unite people, we're all people. And you know we could quote this doctor and that doctor and that doctor and that doctor. We have to also think about what's happening in the field. And when you make a statement and say, oh, decodables are working.
1: Didn't say that.
2: You did.
1: I, I said that the research around decodables uh, does not demonstrate that they... Uh, look at the research around decodables. And like with all things, it really depends on how they're used. And decodables, there's decodables, are not a silver bullet. Okay. And I think And, and Shanahan even went so far as to say that some of the people that are saying to do decodables for years and years and years are simply making that stuff up. Well, that, no, I do no anybody ever said. You've never that said that.
0: that it should be used I, like that. There's I, uh, uh,
1: I, know the, I know. I know the blog easier. entry. I, I, I don't I know. It, again, a there's
0: a lot of misinformation, a lot of um, misinterpretation about what the science of reading proponents actually say. And again, you mentioned that there are some people who um, distort what this is. Um, but I think we're trying to come to some common ground, as you would say. and. Um, You know, I I think what we're walking away with here is, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, what the best that I'm hearing you say, Dr. Sam, is we need to emphasize other things besides phonics, which I think anybody who is a believer in the science of reading would say the same thing. That's what I'm hearing.
1: Okay. But uh, on the other hand, we also need to recognize that some of these approaches that have been dissed and uh, say, oh, balanced reading doesn't work. Well, read Presley's latest book and look at the research within that book. And you know, we, we have people taking shot, pot shots at uh strawman. And the people from the other side are doing the very same thing. Uh, saying that, you know, and I even wrote an article around that, dissing them about that. That oh, they shouldn't course. be saying that it's, uh, the science course. of reading is all phonics. Uh, it, I specifically said I gave both examples. So we just need to stop this bipolar or, or this di- bipolar is not right. <laughs> dichotomous thinking. We have to stop this dichotomous thinking. We've got to stop this us, them thinking. And we've got to recognize that uh, research is something is a part of discovery. It's not a part of let's prove that whatever it is we're doing is right. That is, that is how research works, okay. how research works is you go out there and you discover things. And when the things you discover kind of say, oh, you better not do that anymore, then you better not do that anymore. Uh, you know, and Nell Duke is my hero for that. Uh, and, and I think Nell Duke's piece uh, uh, is a, a, a landmark piece in, in terms of adding to the Scarborough's rope and uh, adding things to that rope that will improve comprehension. Now, that's how science works. You take what's good, what's there and you improve on it. Okay.
0: Yes, but you so, also get rid of what doesn't work. Right?
1: And what are you saying doesn't work, though? Uh, if you're saying that balanced literacy doesn't work, then... I'm not
0: using a term. Forget that the term is meaningless to me. I'm saying elements of what is balanced literacy doesn't work and people still do it. So that's what we have to all be in agreement with to get rid of Um, what doesn't work. And
1: elements of what some people are calling the science of reading also doesn't work. Take a look at what happened with synthetic phonics in England for those 10 years. Uh, We're still producing word callers. So we've got to recognize, it works both ways. And you've got to look at, and you've got to, uh, follow where the research is leading you there as well.
0: Does that say, and see, this is where I'm confused. In England, they have a phonics check and they, yes, they do. early phonics. That doesn't mean that because you do phonics early and thoroughly that you're producing word callers. What but it's
1: what happened. I'm sorry. Did, <laughs> did you listen to, the, to what uh, they had to say? Did you listen to... Uh, I
0: have, I have. Okay, I so it, it has happened. Okay, okay. I'm say, sorry, but it's happened. You okay, can't. Have, have you heard that England came in fourth on international tests?
1: I've heard, I've seen data manipulated, uh, but in terms of having that. Data that uh,
0: hardcore- Okay, now I got to press the BS button. There it goes.
1: (laughs) No, well, I'm going to have to press it in the other direction because some of these wild claims about failures are not based on... uh, It's just like the thing we started this whole conversation on. We have a test that's over heavy on um, decoding, and now we're saying we're improving reading. Uh, No. The uh, international
0: I won't buy that. This test is not a phonics test, though. They can't. It be is, I, I, count th-
1: the it. items. Count the items. Okay. Oh, count the, the items. Count how many. And test. compare it. And most importantly, compare it to a state test. This is nothing on the left. This is not the ideal test of comprehension, not even close. Okay. And if I'm a, 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 a superintendent spe- spending millions of dollars, I'm going to want to see the proof. At that level as well. It's just that simple. And that's, you know, it's it's I kind of like uh, buyer beware.
2: I think we're missing a very big opportunity, Dr. Sam. Yeah. We, I was in reading recovery. I was very passionate about what I did, but I stand here confidently and authentically myself to say we missed the boat on teaching kids how to decode the words and it was a big problem and unfortunately i don't think that the two sides can really merge together until we recognize and like faith said just have to let go of some things we've done in the past i'm sorry i have to say it and you know and i feel bad because that was my life that was my life but now it's not because you know what it's not about what tim shanahan said or what, you know whoever said they're important, but the people that are most important to me are the kids that I work with. And when I Likewise. have, kids, and when I have little kids that look at me and say, Miss Judy, Miss Judy, Miss Judy, I'm really confused because my teachers tell me to guess, or my teachers telling me not to sound out the word. And you're telling if, me
1: to- if teachers are doing that, they're not doing recovery. It's that simple.
2: But that's what was happening. I it understand that, but
1: that's not recovery. It
2: breaks my heart. And when you read neural reports. For the students you're working with, and it says this student needs an Orton-Gillingham-based approach, and that's what's being given to, to a lot of kids right now, that's very problematic. And I think that a lot of people in education right now are saying things, but when you really learn what's really going on, it's when you're sitting with the kid right next to you. And Been it's- that
1: for 50 years now.
2: And it's me reflecting on a couple of kids that I serviced in reading recovery. And I don't feel mad at myself, but I feel a little bit sad that I didn't have the knowledge then that I do have now. And, you know, so I'll let me forget those kids. Back. Let's bring this back to wrap up. So
0: going back to the article, Dr. Sam, um, it said here that kids went from 45% being on track to 65% being on track and they attribute this to science of reading training and i know you you were looking at an assessment that you're not really a strong believer in as far as getting these numbers you're you're um not confident in it however Um, I don't think we could ignore that the teachers themselves feel better about what they know and the administrators were saying they feel like they're in a better place. So if they've already adopted a lot of the science of reading um, philosophy and, and beliefs and the practices and they feel successful, shouldn't we all take note of that
1: absolutely but we should also take note of the teachers uh who have uh teachers from scanlon we also need to take note of the teachers that are working uh, out of uh, folks like uh tim resinski and, and uh, teachers who are uh artfully teaching the science of reading and so i, I think that uh i, I don't once again don't think di- dichotomies, think successful things. So on the, on the one hand, I am saying, yes, wh- I hope you heard that me say that because I think it's a big deal for me th- that I said what I do now is uh, advocate for that strong synthetic foundings program uh, from the get-go. I no question need- about that. Yeah, but I, think- I don't think by doing that, we then eliminate the kids that need something else. And I don't. I don't think we eliminate the uh, analytic phonics or the other approaches that these other kids also need. And I don't think that we get so wrapped up in teaching decoding that the kid loses sight of the fact that it's about meaning making. So uh, it's a. So there we go back to. Let's remember the NRP report used the word balance. You can't overdo you have to have balance between the two. And that goes back to the NRP, and that's a direct quote out of it. So and suddenly we're not. Suddenly we're in danger of potentially getting out of balance. We were out of balance in the direction of meaning uh, for a number of years. Now we're going to go out of balance in the direction of decoding for a number of years, and all that results in our more pendulum swings. If we're ever going to get, um, what, what my very first blog on this whole matter, or one of my very first blogs said, is we need to use things from each, and we need to be respectful of the fact. That, uh, that there are research-based uh, uh, approaches, and there are successful uh, programs that call themselves balanced literacy. There are definitely successful programs that call themselves science of, re- uh, of reading, and there are many other programs. And those are the source. That's the source of things not going well. There are many other programs that really aren't much of anything. Uh, so those are the programs that need improving. And I I don't think we have to get into this us them psychology. And I really hope that uh, readers go back and take a good hard look at the post I did around what uh, Amanda Goodman had to say, because that paragraph from Amanda Goodman, where she talked about the different researchers getting together and talking to each other uh, and sharing the research, suddenly they were moving to the center. And that's what has to happen. That's what. That's why. That gives me hope for the future. The the fact that that actually happened with real researchers at at that high level.
2: Judy, your last thoughts as we wrap up. So I want to thank you, Doctor Sam, for being here. I know that this is a tough discussion. Uh, I've been excited to start bridging that gap and speaking to people from all sides of the literacy world, because I do think that is important. I do think it is important that researchers get together. And you know what? Sometimes having those hard conversations, even when people don't disagree, those are the conversations that are going to shift the needle. Um, I think it's very important that we all stay active and get down and dirty in the field. With all these new curriculums rolling out, there's no perfect curriculum, but when we know better, we do better. I do think we should be making children look at the word as their first course of action. I do think decoding was neglected and should be really, really given the love and attention that meaning has gotten for so long. They are all important, the five, liter- five pillars of literacy plus the knowledge building and so forth, and that oral language expression. But I think that we cannot let data look so crappy so long again the data in the, in many parts of the world and i know there were pockets of success i get that but there were many pockets of failure many and it 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 continued for so long for i've been teaching now for 25 years it's been 25 years and the data hasn't looked good for a long time in many of the schools we can't ignore it Um, I do think that it's wonderful that many teachers are getting letters trained and trained in the science of reading, but that's not going to shift the needle. What's really going to shift the needle is working with those kids, uh, listening to them read, seeing what they're doing, and also, you know what, being open-minded that when research changes, be aware of it It and maybe shift, right? We made shifts in phonemic awareness as new research came out. And the important thing is also application, application, application. Yes, we will have word callers if we don't give kids a chance to read text and a hell of a lot of it. And don't okay. forget those food alouds and so forth as well. Thank you.
0: All right, so um, my last thoughts. First, I wanted to thank you, Dr. Sam, for talking with us. As you said, the way we are going to move forward is by speaking to each other. And we were anxious to have you talk to us and get your views. It is called the Literacy View. And um, we did want to hear what you um, had to say. I do want to um, just say, as far as um, bringing all the pieces together, I am a big believer in looking at the whole and bringing the best pieces together. But I think we have to be ready to let go. I've used an analogy about a trapeze artist who's not willing to let go of one bar when he catches the other. You just stay still, you don't have any movement unless you're willing to let go of something in order to grab onto the next. So I I think that's important. And I do wanna just say one last thing for all those parents with struggling readers who've had their kids in intervention for years and have had um, very little success. I think we as professionals all owe it to them to put our egos aside and to be able to embrace what we know The science is telling us, and the science is telling us, we need to look at all the pieces. And uh, it might have gotten misinterpreted along the way as just one component, but I don't believe that is the science of reading. So that's my last thoughts. Dr. Sam, any last words you have? Yes.
1: Well, first of all, I really want to thank you for this opportunity and for listening uh, to... uh and I know I can get a little intense at times, and I apologize about that. But, uh, you know, I've been at this for 50 years plus, and uh, I I especially want to, ag- I want to advocate for all the kids, and that includes the word callers, and they're, they're being ignored right now. So if, if nothing else comes out of this, at least people need to be thinking about that. And they do exist in large enough numbers for us to be worried about that. I also want to say that I hope that a lot of us start following what Amanda Goodman and her crew did, uh, and that is talking with one another and suddenly finding out that what we thought was miles apart is not really miles apart. And I never mentioned it, but my original dissertation, uh, or maybe I did, uh, my original dissertation on all this found that overall back in that last round of reading wars, that the people had more things in common that they did than they were different on. So um, I, I think instead of asking like, how are we different, let's turn the tables around and start asking, what is some of the common ground? For instance, uh, you know, Judy and I seem to agree that we, that that synthetic phonics approach needs to be in there and in there in tier one and in there uh, very knowledgeably. But I don't want that to result in then uh, the other kinds of approaches being eliminated. And most of all, and the people I feel the sorriest for are people like Um, Jan Richardson, uh, uh, who have a working program with data that shows it works and it's being outlawed. And that is simply, no matter how you slice it, that is so wrong.
0: Well, maybe Jan uh, Richardson would want to join us on the Literacy View. Why not? Now that you broke the ice, Dr. Sam, maybe we'll
2: have Jan Richardson. I don't think that's really my hope. I don't want... Our show to be the same old, same old, same old folks. We want to hear from everybody. Yes. It doesn't matter which way you swing. Yeah. I think we're gonna leave it at that.
1: Okay, <laughs> yeah. right. And you know, let's let's stop focusing on the dichotomies and start co- focusing on the that's common ground. Cool. And um you know, that, that kind of like says it all. And the fact that we can sit down and have this discussion, hopefully, as we go all go back and talk, think about what we've just said today. Maybe it'll be kind of like what happened to Amanda Goodman's people that will yeah. suddenly think, wait a minute, I'm not, you know, he's not as far away from me as I thought he was. And I'm not as far away from him as I think I am. And think about, let's start having conversations about what we do have in common. And all the dichotomies do is make the pendulum swing. And I'm tired of that. Okay, We've had too many all right, years of so that. Let's
0: Let's um, wrap up. So thank you. Thank uh, you. Thank you, Dr. Sam, for joining us. And, um, and thank you, audience, for continuing to watch and listen. So Judy, just tell everyone where they could find us on social
2: media. All right. So I just want to say I think a peace treaty might be on the way in the near future for all of us. So that's amazing. Oh, that would be wonderful. I also wanted to say, as you guys were talking and as Faith was talking, I just thought of, let it go. I can't say. From Frozen, (laughs) let it go. I let go of a couple of things. It doesn't make me a bad person. It's helping kids. But anyway, follow us on Facebook, The Literacy View, Real Teachers Letting Loose. Follow us on Instagram. Foxner Damsky, follow my beautiful Faith on High Five Literacy. Follow Faith on Twitter at Faith Burkowski. Follow me at Foxner Judy. And also, we are doing a survey. Um, you will be seeing it on social media often. We want to hear your view. So stay yeah. tuned. And thank you okay.
1: And, and send me all those links about what you just said, because I want to make sure that everybody that follows my blog knows about you guys.
0: All right. Thank you. Okay. Be well, nice.
1: good night. <laughs> right.
0: Thanks.